broadcasting live from the RNR studios in Las Vegas, Nevada. It's the premier destination for an inside look into the Las Vegas Raiders. You're in the huddle with Vinny Bonsignor. Presented by Tequila Embajador. What's good, Raider Nation? Welcome back to Raider Nation Radio, 920 AM on a Monday. You're in the huddle with Vinny Bonsignor, brought to you by Tequila Embajador. Without further ado, we're going to go out to the Raider Nation guest line and welcome in our friend from Pro Football Focus, Seth Galina. Uh, Seth wrote a uh, did a, a mock, a three-round mock draft uh, for the AFC West. I believe it came out today. Uh, always exciting uh, to read uh, all all those all the mock drafts that are out there, all the insight, all the analysis. Uh, and Seth was kind enough to join us in the huddle today. Seth, how are you doing, my friend? I'm great. What's going on? Uh, doing good. Doing good. All right. So let's start with this before we get into the mock draft. Um, today there was a report out of Green Bay uh, that the Packers are targeting and interested in Darren Waller, the Raiders' uh, tight end. Um, My response to that is everybody's interested in Darren Waller. Are you kidding me? He's one of the great players in the NFL. Uh, But my question to you is, uh, do you think that there's, you know, whatever validity or viability there is to that, let's say there is, just to play the argument um, angle, what would it take, do you think, to pry Darren Waller out from under the Raiders in terms of assets? Seth Galina. You are on the clock. Well, the, the funny thing is, and I do think there is some validity to this, and I do think he was part of talks um, when the first trade happened, when the Adams trade happened. So I, I do wonder, it's, it's interesting that it, 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 we wait for them to do another trade, the same two teams, um, trading you know, a similar type of player, a, a pass-catching player. I think you know, you're going to have to, I, I don't know, I like Waller a lot. I, I don't see why you would have to give another, a first-round pick going back. Like, I, I do think one for one, like, if you, if, let's say, let's go back and say the first trade doesn't happen. Right. I think you're probably saying one for one plus the Raiders have to add, I'm sorry, the, um, yeah, the Raiders would have to add a second-round pick probably. Um Wait, whoa, 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 whoa. So, so you're saying, uh, just so, so I could follow, yeah. if you're saying uh, Devontae Adams straight up for Darren Waller plus a second-round pick from the Raiders going to the Packers. Yeah, it has to be probably something like that. Just in terms of like the value, I mean, I, I have to look up their, their right, stock right. after that time, but just in terms of the value, I think that's probably what it is, third-round pick, I, I guess. Um, so now if you're saying like right now what it would take, I don't know, I feel like it would take the first-round pick back. Like just, just like hey, like all right, let's keep let's keep talking here, and I don't know, let's let's get the first round pick back and and see where we go from there. One more on that uh, from the Raiders' perspective, um, and obviously first round picks are enticing. Um, you know, there's there's always that excitement about it, and the possibilities endless. You know, maybe you're drafting the next Hall of Famer or the next Darren Waller for that matter. Um, but if you are the Raiders and you just brought in Devontae Adams and you're adding him to Darren Waller and Hunter Renfro and Derek Carr and Josh Jacobs and everything that this offense has going for it in one of the more explosive, tantalizing tandems in he and Devontae Adams, is there any first-round pick or any player in this draft that is projected to go into the first round that would give you what Darren Waller gives you alongside Devontae Adams right now? No. <laughs> I, yeah, I mean, it's as simple as that, especially in terms of that position. And I also think, like, 
I, I'm not a big fan of, um, you know, looking at it, you know, we're talking about Debo Samuel and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. And it's like, you want the guy who you know can play at the NFL level, right? right? Like at the end of the day, the, the, the draft, the draft is kind of a crapshoot. Obviously we have ideas of what these players are going to be, but you'd rather still have the player that, you know, is really good. Now with that said, I think if they were to make the trade, I think the idea would be, of course, okay, now we have a first round pick, you know, we have 29 or let's say, or 22, whatever it may be. Well, let's go and add, because our receiving core is going to be great, kind of no matter what, whether Wall is there or not. Um, not that he's not a good player, but they're pretty loaded there. Um, so you're thinking, okay, well, maybe we can find an offensive lineman. Maybe we can find basically anybody outside of edge on defense. So I think that would be the plan if there was a trade. Now, I mean, it's going to have to get done, obviously, really soon, um, especially for a first-round pick. Um, so I don't really see it happening. And But, yeah, I think if the trade were to happen, it would be to bolster other more deficient units. We're talking to Seth Galina. You could follow him at PFF underscore Seth. And before we get into your uh, three-round mock AFC West exercise, uh, I got to ask you, I'm looking at your Twitter page, and you have a picture of Lane Kiffin, uh, who <laughs> back in my L.A. days was one of the more fascinating, quirky people that I've ever covered, bar none. I think he's truly a great football mind. Uh, but at least back then, uh, there were some quirkiness to him, and I'm sure that it still exists um, you know, in his, in his uh, latest endeavor. I gotta ask you, why Lane Kiffin? What's the what's the significance of Lane Kiffin on your Twitter page? I'm just c- well, so curious about it. I, I, I will say I do like his offense. Yep. Um, you know that he's been running um, basically since he came back to college and like the you know the Alabama teams with Jalen Hurts, and it's kind of evolved a bit too. But the, the main thing is that clip is from or that still is from a recruiting video they did when he went to Florida Atlantic. I remember this, yeah. <laughs> yeah, and it was just like the most the driest I think it was on purpose, but it was like the driest like recruiting pitch you could ever find in real life. And it's still it's the funniest thing of all time. So I have to immortalize it on my Twitter. It is and I and I think he did. I, he was definitely in on that joke, uh, I hope anyway, but he just seems to roll that way. Let me ask you about Lane Kiffin because you mentioned the the offensive mind. Do you think he's going to get back into the NFL at some point i think so but then i see like you know he's he's obviously very good at what he does as a understanding the role of the head coach and the the visibility of the head coach in, in major college football in 2022 so it, it could be all just a really big not i want to i don't want to say it's an act but he does a good job of 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 promoting his team and promoting himself so you look at that and you're like, oh, this guy loves college football and all that stuff. So, but you know, he's just doing a really good job of getting recruits to come to Mississippi. So I still think he would want to come back. I still think, obviously, you, you would understand if he said he had unfinished business at the NFL. He's doing a heck of a job in Mississippi, but I think he'd probably want to come back if the job is right. I agree. Uh, all right, Seth. So uh, you did the three round uh, mock. Uh, for the AFC West. Such a fascinating division. And uh, before we get to some of the specifics, how much of what happened this offseason for the AFC West, i.e. Devontae Adams, Russell Wilson going to the Denver Broncos, the Chargers with Khalil Mack and doing what they did, um, how much of that played into what you ultimately came up with in this three-round mock? I think the Chargers, number one, the Chargers, because I think they filled a lot of the holes that a lot of people were talking about them having going into the offseason, especially on defense. Like you talked about Kilomax. 
Sebastian Joseph Day uh, interior defensive line, and then J.C. Jackson in the corner. So all of a sudden, you're you're sitting there and thinking. I'm not saying they they filled all their holes, but the three main ones I would say are are, are they they've done a good job with. So now they you know you could I could see them going a lot of different positions, um, but it's coming back up to offense, going tackle, going receiver. Um, you know I have them taking a three technique, so. I think for them, they filled enough of the holes that I feel pretty good about pretty much anything they can do at 17. And then obviously, you know, the trades on the other team, you know, Vegas, one pick. Uh, the Broncos don't have a pick in the first round. And then the opposite being being the Chiefs having so having too many picks in the first few rounds. So, yeah, it changed. This was a big offseason for this probably the biggest in the division's history, I would say. When we look at the Kansas City Chiefs, I'm going to count it up. One, two, three, four, five, six picks within the first 103 picks of the draft. Uh, that's a lot. And um, obviously they made the major move in, in trading Tyreek Hill. And not to say that necessarily they're going to, they're, they're, they're trying to or expecting to replace Tyreek Hill, um, but because Tyreek Hill is such a unique football player and meant so much to what they did that it's almost impossible to do that. But uh, when you look at at least your mock draft and what they're going to be doing uh, this weekend, can they, out of w- w- with the assets they got for, for, for Tyreek, are they going to be able to find maybe a different answer um, to, to help them stay right where they expect to be and have been uh, in the past with Tyreek, but just do it without him and figure out a different way to do it? Yeah, I, I really wonder how they feel about the receiver room because they go in to get Juju Smith-Schuster, they go get Marquez Valdez-Gantling. Those guys fill specific roles. Um, like, there's not Tyreek. I don't tell um, Raiders fans that he's a special player, but um, I think they. I, so I can certainly see them going with a receiver. You know, pick 29, pick 30. But at the end of the day, like, they filled some, some spots there. So I think they're going to try and add on a defense where the defense, obviously, you know, edge and corner are, are pretty, pretty weak there for them. So I could see them going either way. But in, in this mock draft, they went on a pretty heavy defense. Well, to your point, even with Tariq Hill, their defense, you know, at the end of the day, uh, had trouble getting it done on a consistent basis. So whether they have him or now they don't have him, obviously defense is something that they need to address. And with their first three picks, you had them taking uh, Boy Maffey, uh, Daxton Hill, uh, Nick uh, Benito, all three defensive players. Uh, the wide receiver comes in uh, round two at pick number 62 uh, in Jalen Tolbert. So obviously a heavy defensive lean for the Kansas City uh, Chiefs in, in your mind. Uh, we get to the Denver Broncos, and I got to ask you this: How much better today are the Denver Broncos uh, with the addition of Russell Wilson? Is it going to be a dramatic, franchise-altering, altering move to go get Russell? Yeah, I think so. I think he here is my thing with Russell Wilson. I, I'm, I say this every year. I'm going to continue saying this every year until it happens, or maybe it just will never happen. But I, I you know, he's getting up there. He's going to be in his mid thirties. His style of play, I don't think, is suited for a late career elite play quarterback. But it hasn't happened yet. You know, he was really good before the injury last year. Um, obviously, there's going to be dips in his game. Um, we see that. But he was really good before the injury. He came back. Obviously, the injury was was still bothering him. So, you know, don't put too much stock in, in how he came back at the end of last season. So, I, you know, I look at it like eventually it's going to fall off. 
he's not a guy who who's he's super accurate, but he's not a guy who sits in the pocket and has you know the entire field open to him. He doesn't throw over the middle of the field. Um, he obviously makes a lot of plays scrambling. So like, is that viable in your going into your mid thirties to late thirties? I don't know. He's he's an he's an elite player. He's a Hall of Famer probably. So you, I'll, I'll lean into like saying, well, if anyone can do it, it's Russell Wilson. But there's still that nagging thing in my head saying like it might just fall off any one season. I don't do think they still got significantly better if he's the Russell Wilson we saw before the injury last year. All right, that takes us to the Raiders, and uh, I think Raider fans would be uh, probably ecstatic uh, to get uh, the uh, the player that you have uh, targeted uh, and going to the Raiders, uh, Dylan Parham from uh, Memphis, the uh, the offensive guard from Memphis. Uh, talk a little bit about Dylan, number one, and number two, what do you think that would mean for young Alex Leatherwood, who obviously struggled at right tackle, uh, played a little bit better at right guard, uh, but... I, the Raiders still have a, uh, a hope um, for him, and it's not unusual for second-year offensive linemen uh, to get better uh, as, the, as time goes on. What would this mean, do you think, for the Raiders and for Alex Leatherwood? And if you could talk a little bit about D- uh, uh, Dylan as well. Yeah, I think the Leatherwood thing is fascinating because for them to make that switch so early in his career, um, obviously c- concerning, we know that. Um, but like you said, we also know that it, it can take offensive linemen time to acclimate themselves, themselves uh, at the pro level. You know, the, the Parham pick is really just me saying, okay, we're assuming that, okay, whatever happened in his rookie year, you know, new coaching staff, Leatherwood's going to figure it out. He can move back to tackle. He was a little better at guard, but at the end of the day, I think, he, you know, you, you drafted him there to play tackle. Um, and that's, you know, the, in the run game, it was okay at times. Obviously, the pass pro was, was a problem, you know that. Um, so they're now getting a guard in there, um, like, you know, with the only pick they have in the first three rounds, I think, I think makes sense. I think with the Raiders, things can go in a bunch of different directions. I think there's not a position on defense besides edge rusher and maybe, you know, slot corner where you're not looking to maybe make an upgrade somewhere. Um, so they could go there, but with Parham, you know, he's, he's smallish, you know, six, three. So he's not very big. I think there's a chance that you can move him to center. I'm not sure what his best position is at the next level, but he's super quick. Um, you know, outside zone reaching, um, getting around interior defensive linemen, very good at it has some power to his game. So I think they think third round is a really good spot for him. And I think he, he gives you that versatility where you can move him inside, maybe outside, outside center or guard and, and see what you got there. When we're talking about the Raiders offensive line, uh, and this is the last question I got for you, uh, but when we're talking about that group um, for this team, uh, obviously injuries last year, they made some trades last off season, Gabe Jackson uh, and, the, and, the, and the like, um, trying to move in a different direction, uh, move some money around. It didn't work out. There were injuries. There was underachievement. There were learning curves, a lot of different dynamics played into the Raiders' uh, uh, offensive line struggling the way it did outside of Colton Miller, and then, as it turned out, Andre James as the year went on. Um, but when, you, when you're talking about a new offensive coordinator, a new system, uh, maybe even a, a new blocking kind of a scheme, do you feel like a guy like Alex Leatherwood, there's still a future there for him, and maybe the key that unlocks it is the switch to Josh McDaniels and, and his staff? Yeah, I hope so. And like I said, I didn't think 
that when he moved into guard, it settled him a bit um, for, for, for an okay stretch uh, there in the middle of the season. I thought he paired well. I, I don't remember the, the, the tackle who they put in next to him, but I thought he paired well, again, in the run game. Right. To me, like, it, it, was, it was solid in the run game when they moved him into guard. So, you know, there's something to hang your hat on at least um, going forward and saying, hey, you can play at this level. Like, you did good stuff here. Um, at, in one aspect of this of this sport and this position you play, um, and even though I'm, I'm looking at his at his pass pro stats now, I mean like his two best games came later in the season. Uh, I see the Cowboys and I see the the Browns like pretty good grades. Now there were some bad games after that, but like it wasn't as bad as early in the season. Um, so there's something there. I mean they took him in the first round for a reason. I know so a lot of people think it was a bit of a, a stretch there, and you know pick 17, but there's something there. you got to get out of him, and hopefully the new coaching staff does that. One more question, actually, from uh, my producer, Devon Cotton. Go for it. Yes, Seth. Uh, Jason Poe, offensive guard out of Mercer. I've seen so many people that, like, guys that say, oh, he's so fun to watch on tape, and he's so freakishly athletic. Even when I did the PFF mock draft, I took him for the Raiders in the seventh round and got an A for the pick. So what's the disconnect for a player that has all the attributes but is still projected to go so low in the draft? Yeah, the attributes, this kid is crazy, man. <laughs> like, this guy's the fastest offensive lineman you've ever seen in your life. The way he pulls, I mean, he gets in front of people, it's great. You know, obviously, you're talking about an FCS player, played at Mercer. So, you know, like, you have to understand, like, level of competition. But, however, they played against Alabama uh, last season, and he thought he looked really good. Um, again, are you getting this unbelievable power player, which maybe you want it in the interior offense five positions? No, he, but he is super quick, um, super athletic. Maybe maybe another guy you can you can think about moving even to center. Um, so yeah, I, I I like his game a lot. Uh, I, I didn't realize he was going all the way down the seventh round. I would have him a little bit higher. So like yeah, if you can get him all the way down the seventh round, you're laughing. All right, and the last one that I've got for you, you always seem to talk about quarterback mechanics, and you even had one of all the quarterbacks from the combine, and, it's, and you had to tweet out which one of these quarterbacks has the bad posture. So what, what is it about quarterback mechanics that a lot of people are missing when they're watching QBs? Well, I think that at the end of the day, like, you know, we're, we're looking at it, and we're just saying, like, this looks good. This does not look good. Like, it makes me feel good when I watch it, or it does not make me feel good when I watch it. And I think there's all, you know, there's obviously more to, you know, I tweeted today that it's more just than like where your arm, the arm path of the quarterback as you throwing the football. And there's a lot that goes into it from the ground up that allows you to throw the ball accurately to throw the ball with velocity. So I think that, you know, and everything's changing. You know, I've been a quarterback coach for a long time. The stuff that I was teaching six years ago, five years ago, I, I'm embarrassed that I was teaching that stuff. And maybe in five, ten years, we'll, I'll be embarrassed about the stuff that I'm teaching right now. So things do change. Um, but, yeah, I think that, you know, the posture tweet was all about, like, hey, are you standing straight up when you throw the football? Like, we don't need to we, – we can get enough power from kind of a standstill position if we use our body properly. And that was kind of what that tweet was about. Who's going to be the best quarterback in this draft? If you're asking me to project – like fantastically, it's Malik Willis because you have the arm talent and the, the legs are incredible. Um, his knock is going to be height. You know what I mean? Like you can't. It's tough to compare him to those other, you know, big 
and Herbert and Allen and, and Mahomes because they're all tall. They can see over the middle of the field. Like he did not hit the, a lot of routes, targets over the middle of the field. But I think he projects that the ceiling is crazy. I like Ritter. I, I think for me, he's my favorite one. Um, but I think if I'm projecting going forward, it's probably Willis. All right. Well, I appreciate the time, uh, Seth. Thank you so much. I know it's uh, it's it's the end of the line for the mock drafts and and, and all that good stuff. Now we get to the real stuff, um, and uh, and and it's it couldn't be more exciting. I love the draft, and thank you for your insight and input. Uh, truly appreciate it. We'll check back with you down the road, my friend. All right. See ya. That was Seth Galina from Pro Football Focus, uh, always uh, bringing the heat and the insight, and we truly appreciate it. You're in the huddle. By the way, Devon, I think you just want to sneak in there that you got an A. I'm sorry, but uh, I know me because I didn't get a whole lot of A's. Uh, anytime I did, I wanted to brag about it. So uh, that was a that draft pick got an A, huh? Yeah, but in the seventh round because he said he wouldn't have him there so low. So when you do these mock drafts, right, right. He, he was there on multiple ones. So if he's that good of a pick, don't you think that he maybe should be taken True. a little bit ahead True. of the seventh round? No, that's all. That's the only. That's all I'm saying. Yeah, no doubt about it. And you got an A, man. Uh, 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 congratulate yourself because, I, like I said, for me, man, those are far and few between. You're in the huddle. No, I'm just kidding. You're in the huddle. Uh, brought to you by Tequila and Bahuda, Raider Nation Radio, nine twenty a.m. on a Monday. Interact with the show. Text Vinny at 69187 or tweet at him at Vinny Bonsignor. This is In the Huddle with Raiders beat writer Vinny Bonsignor on Raider Nation Radio 920 AM. What's good, Raider Nation? Welcome back to Raider Nation Radio 920 AM on a Monday. Here's how um, things can grow like uh, or spread like wild. I got my wife texting me because she saw the uh, Twitter report about the Green Bay Packers potentially targeting Darren Waller with question mark, question mark, question mark. And um, what I told her and what I will reiterate to the audience right now. And by the way, you're in the huddle with Vinny Bonsignor brought to you by Tequila in Bahudor on uh, Raider Nation Radio 920 AM. Nothing going on from the Raiders' perspective on trading Darren Waller to the Green Bay Packers or anybody else. There's no doubt that um, any team would be interested in acquiring Darren Waller. Why wouldn't you? Um, he's one of the more dynamic players in the NFL. He's still in his prime. He can help a team. I mean, can you imagine Aaron Rodgers and Darren Waller? Yeah, that is something that if I'm the Green Bay Packers, I'd be extremely enticed about not to mention um, interested in potentially pulling off because for the same reasons that I wouldn't trade Darren Waller from the Raiders for a first-round pick, especially where the Packers are drafting, I'm sure the Packers are looking at it saying, "There's as good as all the players are, as good as, as this crop of draft picks are, there's nobody that would help us at pick number 22 the way a Darren Waller can right now. So, of course, they would be interested in trading for a Darren Waller, but just to let and to ease all concerns, uh, nothing to it from the Raiders' perspective. I'd be shocked if they traded him. Um, not to say that that's ever, but this year uh, specifically, um, I would not count on that, and I would not uh, lose any sleep over it. We're going to go out to the Raider Nation guest line and welcome in our good friend from the Neuropathy and Pain Center of Las Vegas. Uh, Dr. Stephen Shaw uh, is joining us right now, and it's a good time to remind you um, that, listen, 
There's nothing worse than living in chronic pain with little hope, and the neuropathy and pain centers of Las Vegas offer genuine relief from even the most severe and persistent forms of pain. Please call their office today or book an appointment online to find out how to live as pain-free a life as possible. Please call them at 725-373-9879. They have the answers to whatever um, your your issue is uh, if it regards pain, and they're there to help. So please take advantage of calling them, 725-373-9879. Dr. Stephen Shaw, thank you so much for spending some time with us in the huddle. How are you doing, my friend? Doing great. Thank you, Vinny. How are you? I'm doing great, and uh, I don't know if you've been down to the uh, Strip anytime soon or anytime recently, but uh, it's certainly coming to life uh, with the NFL draft uh, in town, and I'm sure if you pick up the newspaper or look online or, or you know, uh, or watching the local news. It's all about the NFL draft. Have you caught the fever yet? I, I have, and Vinny, I'll take it a step further. I, when are they going to have a draft for cheerleaders, and how can I be? Oh. Uh, how can I be one of the judges? Well, uh, you know, uh, interesting that you that you point that out. Next year, um, you know, when the the Raiderette tryouts uh, happen, maybe you know uh, we could get you in as a uh, as a guest, um, you know, uh, voter or a guest. Well, it's only because I'm a giving person that I'll offer free chiropractic there, services. Okay, there you go. And speaking <laughs> of which, uh, and we and and the Rob. The and Pain Center obviously uh, is is designed and and provides uh, pain relief services, and they do a great job uh, over there. But um, you know, Doctor uh, Shaw, we 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 look at professional athletes, and one of the more persistent, whether and on any level for that matter, and one of the more persistent types of injuries are knee related injuries. But it's not exclusive. Um, you know, to athletes, uh, even in just daily life, uh, there's there's p- issues that people have, uh, you know, with their knees, and um, some of it is due to activity, some of it is due to, I'm sure, uh, genetics. Um, all it, it probably you know encompasses everything. Uh, but as far as knee problems go, uh, is it a, is it prevalent uh, in your line of work that that people are are coming to you guys with that type of an injury or just with that type of pain? Yeah, it, it is. It's very prevalent. I mean, we're all we're we're all susceptible to the natural forces of physics and uh, and gravity. And uh, I mean, simple things like going up and down stairs can have a very profound effect on the ligaments, the tendons, the connective tissue of the knees, and just time itself. Chronic, repetitive walking, stair climbing, running. There is always the degenerative component to knees, meaning wear and tear which we see a lot of, and uh, we have a lot of wonderful treatments for here. Before we get into the treatments, um, and I I know you guys offer uh, quite a bit at the Neuropathy and Pain Center, um, are there any uh, suggestions that you can make on maybe how to mitigate and manage things so that uh, it puts off, you know, having to, uh, to give you guys a call? Well, I mean, I think common sense prevails on this. Um, you know, you probably want to avoid chronic repetitive motions. Um, you know, it, like I said, we're all impervious to the, the uh, effects of, of physics, and uh, a lot of the injuries are from ligament tears or tendon tears. And, you know, it, what that means or what it comes down to is accidental injuries. And so there's really not really much you can do to mitigate that. You know, like a, a receiver running a 10-yard square out might plant on his left foot and push off and there and there goes a meniscus or there goes a, a ligament 
Um, but as far as day-to-day stuff goes, I would probably recommend just maintaining the integrity of the knee by staying active. Stretching, we have talked about that in the past, about how important it is to stretch out your lower extremities. Um, and maintaining a good diet. I mean, vitamins, nutrients, minerals are all utilized by the body, even in the knee joints. You know, it's interesting that uh, as you were saying that, I was just reminded of an interview that we just did with a um – He's a quarterback coach, okay, and uh, that's your position that you played uh, at UNLV, as we all know, and he said what he's teaching, like, what he basically said was, if I go back and look what I was teaching 10 years ago, I almost have to cringe, uh, because I'm like, why was I teaching that? You know, the point being, things evolve, the position evolves, uh, different techniques and different philosophies, different fundamentals, all of those types of things change through the course of time. Um, does that apply as, as well with what, with what you guys do in how, um, you know, treatment and procedures and all of those type of things change over the course of time? Oh, it, certainly. I mean, when I first got in, uh, into chiropractic school, we were still using iontophoresis, which is an old therapy of trying to get to transport from one medium to another. Now, nobody does that. Um, you know, see, even, even, you know, I'm not a surgeon, but just even today I was uh, listening in on a discussion. Dr. Odell was having a patient about a, a shoulder uh, replacement where they only did half of the shoulder um, uh, for this uh, gentleman. But nowadays, I don't think that that's even an option. I think they would just replace the whole thing or, or try some uh, mesenchymal stem cells to try and regrow those structures. But yes, it's, it's ever-evolving, ever-changing. In fact, that's why they call it a medical practice and not a medical perfect. Yeah, that's true. And we're talking to uh, Dr. Stephen Shaw from the Neuropathy and Pain Center. We urge you guys, uh, whether it's yourself, your fa- for a family member, on behalf of a family member or a friend uh, or, or, or anybody that's that you know is dealing with pain, uh, please give them a call at 725-373-9879. Uh, they generally have answers to whatever is ailing you. And if they don't, uh, they're always kind enough and nice enough to point you in a direction where help um, can be afforded you. So please give them a call, 725-373-9879. All right, uh, Dr. Shaw, if, if a knee injury gets to the point where a little bit of ice, a little bit of rest, a little bit of stretching, uh, and all of those uh, you know things that you just mentioned isn't doing the job, when is it time to start giving the call uh, to the Neuropathy and Pain Center? Well, it's from my experience, yeah, knees uh, are, are hard to uh, hide the symptoms. In other words, when there's something wrong, your knee will swell up and it'll stay swollen. Um, and in addition to having the, the inability to, to move or function, um, it's actually something that I'm intimately familiar with. Uh, I've had three meniscectomies on my right and two on my left. Uh, and, when, and when you tear cartilage or you tear a ligament, then the first thing that happens is, is your knee will balloon up or swell, and you'll have the inability to completely straighten it out or to completely flex it. So at that point, that's when diagnostics become important. That's when we take an x-ray and we rule in or rule out the possibility of it being something osseous or bone-related. And if we don't get the answers from the x-ray, then we move to the next level up, which would be an MRI. And the MRI shows us the cartilage, the ligaments, the, the tendons, the connective tissue that may or may not be damaged. So once you isolate the, the etiology or the cause of the swelling, then it gives you a better idea on how to treat it. Last question for you, Dr. Shaw. Uh, short of surgery, and um, we all want to avoid that at all costs, uh, but short of surgery, 
Uh, what type of remedies uh, and techniques do you guys have at the Neuropathy and Pain Center de- to de- deal with uh, and mitigate some of the uh, knee pain that, that we come across? Sure. Well, I, I can tell you, you know, from my chiropractic therapy standpoint, we offer um, uh, rehabilitation exercises, uh, anti-inflammatory techniques, muscle stimulators, ultrasound, diathermy. Uh, but we also now, I think we're just one of a few clinics here in town that offers a knee decompression. So by separating the joint, it allows the it, it, a process called imbibition where it draws in the fluid. Uh, it uh, helps the, the knee joint heal. And, and mo- more importantly, it restores function, allows you to fully bend and, and extend that knee. I, the first time that I went on it, and again, I've, I've got knee problems myself, and I, have, I haven't been able to touch my heel to my butt in years. And after the first time of using knee decompression, I was able to uh, do a full squat. So that's a therapy standpoint. From Dr. Odell and his medical side, um, there's, we, we had just talked about the uh, evolving nature of medicine. He offers things like uh, PRP, platelet-rich uh, plasma injections, as well as mesenchymal uh, stem cell therapy, where they in- inject stem cells into the knee, and it helps regrow some of the cartilage or some of the, the damaged tissue parts to make and restore that knee back to its 100%. Dr. Stephen Shaw, we always appreciate uh, the insight. Uh, here's hoping that you enjoy uh, this week and the festivities uh, here in Las Vegas for the NFL draft. It's going to be quite the show, and I know that uh, you're going to be watching uh, along with yeah. the rest of us, if not participating. But again, uh, to the listeners, please give the Neuropathy and Pain Center a call. Whatever you're dealing with, 725-373-9879. You don't have to deal with pain just because uh, we've been conditioned to deal with pain as we get older and just Accept it as a matter of fact uh, through the course of life. There's answers for you. There's remedies. There's techniques. There's great doctors like Dr. Odell and Dr. Stephen Shaw that are there to help you. 725-373-9879. Dr. Stephen Shaw, thanks so much. We will check back in with you later on. Thank you so much. Thanks, Vinny. Go Raiders. Go Knights. There you go. And the Knights can really use the help. I'll tell you that right now. Uh, That was Dr. Stephen Shaw from the Neuropathy and Pain Center. You're in the huddle with Vinny Bonsignor. Brought to you by Tequila and Bajador Raider Nation Radio. 920 a.m. on a Monday. Interact with the show. Text Vinny at 69187 or tweet at him at Vinny Bonsignor. This is In the Huddle with Raiders beat writer Vinny Bonsignor on Raider Nation Radio 920 a.m. Raiders quarterback Derek Carr chimed in on uh, the Darren Waller rumors. Uh, there was a uh, report or a tweet. Um, and there was like a meme and it said the Packers, uh, uh, the meme is a picture of Darren Waller and uh, the caption says the Packers and Raiders have engaged in trade talks regarding Darren Waller via uh, Aaron Nagler, uh, the reporter. I could, and Derek's response was, LOL, no chance. I retweeted that and said less than zero. And I could tell you that, you know, are the Packers interested in Darren Waller? We've been reiterating throughout the show. Every team in the league uh, would be interested in Darren Waller. But have the Raiders and Packers, are they actively engaged uh, in trade talks from my reporting? No, no, there's nothing going on there. Zero uh, actually going on between the Raiders uh, and the Packers. So, yeah, the Packers might be interested in him, but that doesn't mean the Raiders are interested in trading uh, Darren Waller. So uh, don't lose any sleep, I would say, uh, to Raider fans. Demond Cotton, um, We, as of Friday, the... 
Um, Memphis Grizzlies had just beaten the Minnesota Timberwolves in that epic comeback, 26-point comeback. Uh, the Timberwolves respond by beating uh, the, the Memphis Grizzlies in Game 4 to tie it up 2-2. This is such a fascinating um, series to me, Demond, because I think there's great young players on both teams. It's one of those, keep an eye on both of those teams. I really have a lot of respect for, for both groups. And it was fascinating to me to see how a young team like the Minnesota Timberwolves would respond to such a devastating loss. Uh, they got back off the snide and tied the series up. It's now even twofold for me in terms of the uh, interest. And I, I love this about the NBA when you see teams that are kind of climbing the ladder uh, to whatever greatness they is in store for them. But now that it's 2-2 and it's a best-of-three series, man, how intriguing is this series to you, truly? Oh, it's very intriguing because it is the Grizzlies' plan, but also Grizzlies in six. Let's start that off right now, Grizzlies in six. But also They're going to win the next two. Yeah, of course. Okay, Grizzly, that's, in six. that's ambitious. In six, come on. Yeah, here's the thing that where I would – I'm going to uh, let it get back to you. What's What's – What's really interesting to me is both teams have shown they can win on the other team's court. And so when, when that happens, all bets are off. But go ahead. All right, Vinny. So not only is it Grizzlies in six, this past game, which the Grizzlies only lost by one point in Minnesota, Taylor Jenkins, the Memphis Grizzlies head coach, he came out and he said mm-hmm. this was one of the worst officiated games he had ever seen. They went to the free throw line 40 times. Now, I'm not saying that Memphis is not fouling, but come on times this reminded me he wasn't as impassionate as David Fisdale was but David Fisdale after the team had lost to the Spurs in the playoffs a few years back I, remember that. I think this was the series this was the playoff series that Kawhi hurt his ankle and you know when playing yep. Golden State but he said they're not going to rook us right you know take that for data right but it's just one of those things where Memphis they've had they've ran up against this before in the playoffs as Grizzly fans will let you know but I just do I just I don't think that Minnesota is as good as the Grizzlies. And I do think that they got a little home cooking with the officials of just we are calling everything. Or if you got all three starters, basically with you got three three or five starters with three fouls in the first quarter, it's gonna be hard to do anything going forward. Yeah. Um and I don't like uh, especially at this point in the season when referees really stand in the way of things um, or or make too big of an imprint uh, in games. Let them play. Uh, that's what playoff basketball typically uh, is about. And conversely, when you look at the uh, Brooklyn Nets, I think playoff basketball right now is getting to Kevin Durant. Uh, and I say that because, number one, I think he's starting to show a little bit of little bit of age right now. I think he's starting to show a little bit of exhaustion because let's face it, because of the Kyrie uh, uh, Irving uh, situation, not playing uh, the home games because of the vaccination status, um, you know, just, just kind of how that team was constructed this year. A lot of pressure was on Kevin Durant, and I think he played so many minutes this year uh, to compensate for that. I think he's feeling the effects of it right now. But also when you look at what the Boston Celtics are doing defensively, they're being very, very physical uh, and intentional with Kevin Durant. And I think that's kind of getting to him a little bit. And and why I even mention that is because there's – I'm not one of those I, – I love where the NBA is right now. I love seeing good young talent emerge. Uh, I like to see the changes in how talent um, is, is expressed throughout the sports world. I'm not one of those we were better back in my day kind of guys. I think everybody – there's a unique element to every era of every sport that you're talking about. And I think there's certain players – that were transcendent. They could play in any era. 
But here's the thing. Um, what I what I would like to point out is the rules back in let's say the '80s and and '90s were different. And a guy like Kevin Durant is he's he's being they're, they're letting him play physical with him right now, and it, and it's affecting him. And that's what he would have seen every single night in the NBA back in the day. So I wonder where his numbers would be Stop back yourself, then. Vinny. What's that? Stop yourself. Thirty a game. Thirty a game. I'm not. I'm not. Still, what, he, what he's averaging today. Thirty. A I don't game. know. I don't know. I don't know if it would be thirty. Think a game. about it like this: the defense, the uh, basically how they had the illegal defense call. So you probably couldn't play him. You could still be fi- as physical you as could you be wanted. Very, way more physical. But you basically you couldn't have, basically you couldn't shield over or shade over three defenders on Kevin Durant to that one side of like one side of the court. Definitely, there was a, there was a there was real zone defense. Um, being called, you know, they just, you couldn't, and which I, I agreed with. I think that that was the right way to go. Um, but yeah, I, I, well, I mean, maybe it's because of where my, my kids asked me if Larry Bird played Kevin Durant in a game of one-on-one, both in their prime, you know, how it would turn out. And here's what I say about five, five to five. If they play 10, 10 times, five to five, like Larry Bird would figure out ways just as Kevin Durant would on how to deal with him. They were both tremendous players. Like to, to think that Kevin Durant would just crush Larry Bird or vice versa is doing a disservice to both players talents. They're both hall of fame players that would be able to excel in any Era. Larry Bird could walk into if Larry Bird could walk into this era and do it. He maybe he does average thirty points a game. Yeah, uh, just a, a seven footer who does what he does at seven feet tall. And if you think, ah, oh, man, you know, if you maybe if you if you give him a little shoulder, he's gonna fold. I know you're not. Saying no, he's that not exactly. saying that he would show, fold. But but for you to like, uh maybe go. Oh, he's he's wearing down a little bit. He's also 33 years I old. Know. He's also, I feel like people just expect, LeBron has ruined it for people where it's just, oh, why can't you just, everyone still LeBron be great. LeBron has, yeah. Where he's, the Achilles injury was still last season. But eventually players are going to get a little long in the tooth to where every night you can't bring up Bird. When Bird was 33, was he putting up MVP numbers? No, because his back went out. Exactly. His That's my point. Yeah. Is that for him still to be performing at age 33 the way he is, it's still miraculous to see that I don't think that Kevin Durant, this Boston team, this is the best defensive team in the league. Any player, when you're going up against the best defensive team in the league, they're going to throw some things at you. They can switch just about every matchup. So they are presenting him with some troubles. But it's not like Kevin Durant hasn't seen a double team before in his life. No, 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 no. It was a little bit di- – It was the physicality was a little bit different. I just wonder if that would have – affected him in, in in any way he probably would have figured it out uh it's all good um interestingly charles barkley came out and said i think it was over the weekend that kevin durant was a bus rider not a bus driver and um our good friend uh, ashley nicole moss was like what wait wait hold on a second makes no y- sense you know and and i agree because i mean i disagree with charles barkley um because when you look at the Golden State Warriors, okay, what was it? Kevin Durant was a back-to-back MVP's finals? Yes, right? two times okay. finals two MVP. Time. All right, and guess what happened the next year? Remind me what happened in the next year, um, Damon. What happened in 2019 when they were going for three-peat? Just, just, just. He blew out his Achilles. And what happened? I, I, I they can't weren't remember. able to win the NBA championship and That's what it was. Toronto and Raptors. I know people want to say Clay Thompson got hurt as well. No doubt about it. And, and, and I love Clay. But if if Durant is healthy, they beat the Toronto Raptors. Period! Exclamation point. So if you're wondering what kind of 
bus driver or bus rider Kevin Durant was, just remember that coming off a year where they lost the finals, he comes in and leads them, helps lead them. No doubt there is a team aspect, and Steph Curry is every bit the bus driver that that Kevin Durant is. But when you took Kevin Durant out of the picture, the Warriors and ever since, have not won an NBA championship. I know injuries have played a role in all that. That's all good. But to sit here and suggest that Kevin Durant merely rode that bus instead of helped drove drive it is just crazy. And I'll even say this. Charles Barkley drove the bus, too, for his teams. It just so happens that eventually he ran into somebody that was a better bus driver than he was with their teams. Michael Jordan, Magic Johnson, um, Larry Bird back in his Philadelphia 76ers days, Isaiah Thomas back in his Sixers days. So there's no, even you can drive the bus. It doesn't mean you're going to win the whole thing and you can still be a bus driver and not a bus rider and still not win a championship. I think this, this, and here's, here's, I'll say this too, Devon. It's only recently, it's really only recently that we've gotten onto this championship or bust type of a uh, situation. There were so many great players. There are so many great players who never won a championship. Charles Barkley being one of them, and he ought to understand that concept. There's. It doesn't mean John Stockton and Ke- and, and Carl Malone, two Hall of Famers, and nobody back in the day people understood. Well, they're dealing with Magic and Kareem, and then they're dealing with Michael and um, you know uh, Michael and, and the Bulls. That's what stepped in the way of those two players. Um, so, but but it doesn't disparage them in any way. They're still tremendous players. Nowadays, if you don't win a championship, you're uh, this, that, and the other thing, and I think that's ridiculous. Uh, I want to say thanks to uh, Seth Galina. I want to say thanks to Raiders president Dan Ventrelli, uh, who will be a regular weekly guest uh, here uh, with us in the huddle. Thanks to DeMond Cotton. Thanks to the callers. It's an exciting time here for the Raiders. It's an exciting time here for Las Vegas, as the NFL draft is just a day or so away now, or days away now from starting, but it's actually kind of already started if you've been down on this trip. Uh, We'll be back at it tomorrow, 4 to 6 p.m. in the huddle. Brought to you by Tequila and Bahadur. Check you guys out tomorrow.